Welcome to the Liberty Cafe, where oppression is on the menu. Well, hello. I'm glad you're with me here today on the Liberty Cafe. This is actually episode 24 of the Liberty Cafe, and I'm glad that you have stuck with me for this long or you have joined me of late. Well, as I record this, it is unclear who the next president of the United States is going to be. Is President Trump going to be reelected or is Joe Biden going to be elected in his place? It's unclear at this point in time. And I'm pretty sure when you listen to this, it will also be unclear. But I'd like to make a few observations about things that are going on and and just some things that this might mean to us. Mark Stein points out that all the conventional wisdom from the months up to November 3rd was, as he put it, total bollocks. And he says it starts with the big blue wave that turned into the weak trickle of an old Delaware folks home, dementia patients cystitis. And then he also points out the revolt of the white women who were grossed out by Trump. Well, it turns out that in 2016, Trump won white women by nine points. Last night, he won them by 12. So that's not the problem. He also seemed to increase his share of the black vote and the Hispanic vote. Interestingly enough, his share of the white male vote did seem to drop off. But I'd also like to point out that for those of you who don't think that there is voter fraud going on in this election and in every election, basically, we've had in the United States for a number of years now, I think you just are mistaken. So last night in Wisconsin, no, I'm sorry, in in Michigan, when there was 90.9% of the vote in, Donald Trump led Joe Biden 2.2 million to 1.992 million votes. Not a big difference, but a difference nonetheless. Then all of a sudden, the vote count went up to 93.8% of the vote. There was about 138,000 new votes that came in. How many of those votes did Donald Trump get? Zero. How many of those votes did Joe Jorgensen get? Another presidential candidate on the ballot there? Zero. How about Howie Hawkins? Zero. Don Blankenship? Zero. How about Joe Biden? He got 100% of those 138,339 votes. That really just can't happen. That even in the most Democratic stronghold, you're going to get votes for other candidates besides the Democrat. But that's not what happened here when the the vote total jumped by almost 3%, 138,000 votes. That all by itself, I think, is enough for the president to go to court. And there's a lot of other things going on. I think what is clear at this point in time is that Trump has won North Carolina, he's won Georgia, and he's highly likely to win Pennsylvania, and also Alaska. Yet none of the networks are calling this for him. A couple small pieces of good news are that, one, ABC looks like it's taken back its call of Arizona 
for Joe Biden. And two, Trump is running only a few thousand votes behind Biden in Nevada. And it looks like, if you count up the numbers, that Trump can actually win without either Wisconsin or Michigan if he can hold everything else he is ahead of now and pick up Nevada or Arizona. It's going to be close. But that's kind of where things stand. That may well have changed by the time you hear this. But something that won't have changed, I think, is a big problem that I'd suggest we're facing in this country today. It's that people who call themselves Christians and people who call themselves Republicans don't actually seem to have a problem with the godlessness of the Democratic Party or the anti-liberty positions of the Democratic Party, the oppression that comes out of the Democratic Party. You don't have to be a Christian to oppose oppression. That's pretty obvious. There's a lot of very nice people I know who are conservatives or libertarians who aren't Christians, but they, they hate oppression, particularly oppression from the state. Of course, Christians have a an even bigger dislike of oppression because they know that they have been oppressed themselves by their own sinfulness. And they love liberty because they know that they have been given liberty by Jesus Christ, who has freed them from the slavery of their sins and has brought them into liberty. And of course, the first thing we do as Christians with our liberty is to worship and praise God. That's what we couldn't do at all before. And that's our first call after that. But the, but the second thing that we're called to do is to obey God and his commandments in what we do and to apply God's word and God's commandments to all aspects of our life. Again, conservatives and libertarians who are not Christians aren't bound to that. Well, they are bound to that because all people are bound to that. But they're not bound to that in their belief system. Yet, conservatives and libertarians have come up with belief systems that also value liberty. But it seems like in the world today, and we'll just focus largely on Texas today, that there are those people who call themselves Christians and conservatives that don't value liberty and don't seem to have a lot of problem with oppression. And that should be of great concern to those of us who don't like to be oppressed. And, of course, those of us who are Christian and would love to serve our Lord in heaven by doing his will. So what am, what am I talking about? Well, first of all, I think it has to do with Christians and conservatives or Republicans, however you want to describe that second group, who just refuse to vote for Donald Trump. Listen, I get all the problems with President Trump. I did not vote for him in 2016. I didn't vote for him in 2016 because I didn't trust him. Here was this guy who had been big business, big government, pro-abortion, corporate cronyist for most of his adult life, playboy, all those kinds of things. And all of a sudden he was telling me that he was going to come in and do all these good things, like be anti-abortion was one of the big ones, appoint conservative judges to the courts. 
that was about the same time he was talking about what a great judge, Supreme Court judge, his sister would make, who was a flaming liberal. So I just didn't believe him because nothing he had done in his entire life had led me to that. Now, of course, sadly, if, if you will, I had voted for a lot of Republicans for president and in other positions as well along the way who told me just the same thing. But with Trump, I finally got fed up with that. And part of that was because a bunch of moderate rhino Republicans were telling me I needed to vote for Trump. These are the same moderate rhino Republicans who, when there was still a chance to beat Trump in the 2016 Republican primaries, refused to go to the one person who had a chance to beat him, and that was Ted Cruz. It was anybody but Ted Cruz, and they went to Kasich or to Jeb or to wherever it was, Marco, but they wouldn't go to Ted, and that was the only chance to beat Trump. And so they weren't really interested in being conservative. They just didn't like this Trump guy. And that's, of course, where the Never Trumpers got started. But then all of a sudden, a lot of them came out and said, oh, well, we have to rally behind this guy because he's the president. And you have to vote for him. And even a lot of evangelicals were telling me that. And I said, no, I'm, f I'm finished with this. I, I voted for Bob Dole. I voted for Mitt Romney. I voted for John McCain. Voted for George W. Bush, George H. W. Bush, and I was tired of it, and I wasn't going to do it again. So I didn't. But then all of a sudden, an amazing thing happened, and President Donald J. Trump actually started doing the things that he had said he would do when he was running for election. And he's pretty much done them straight down the line. And the vast majority of those things are very conservative. Now, He's still a big government guy and wants to spend lots of money, and that's not good. But in that, he's no different than any of the presidential candidates who came before him or got elected. The Bushes were big government guys. McCain was a huge government guy. Romney, too. So he's no different than that, but he's doing a lot of things that those people didn't do, and he's fighting for the people and fighting against big government in a lot of other ways, in the Washington establishment and what we would call the deep state or administrative state. So that's great. But yet, apparently, if you look at the numbers, there's a significant number of Republicans who are people who'd normally vote for Republicans who didn't vote for Trump in this election. And that may be what cost him. Same thing with evangelicals. I've already talked a lot about the evangelicals for Biden. And you just can't do that. You can't be a Christian and believe what the Bible says and vote for Joe Biden and be faithful to our Lord and Savior. I can understand just not voting for either, although I think that's wrong-headed as well. But you can't vote for Joe Biden. But there were a lot, too. So it could be that that group of Republicans and conservatives, and or not really conservatives, but Republicans and evangelicals who voted for Biden or didn't vote at all is why Trump may lose this election, although that's yet to be determined. So what does that mean for here in Texas? Well, it's kind of a mirror of what we've been seeing in Texas for the last decade. So in 2003, the Republicans took over the Texas legislature. They already had the Texas Senate back into the 90s, and then they, they took over the, the Texas House in 2003, and they elected Tom Craddock as Speaker of the House. Tom Craddock's a pretty good guy. He's not what I'd call just a big free market conservative, but he's a conservative and he, he does pretty well in those areas. 
And as speaker, he did a pretty good job of bringing forth some free market things, or at least some conservative type issues. But then, of course, we all know the story that the Democrats got with about 10 or 11 liberal Republicans and in 2009 voted Tom Craddock out and put Joe Strauss in. And so from 2009 through 2017, we had Joe Strauss. He left, and then in 2019, the same people generally who had put Strauss in office put Dennis Bonin into office. And you know, we know now that Bonin is having to resign and leave in disgrace because he tried to make some backroom deals and undermine a number of Republicans in the Texas House, and then he lied about it in public, about what he'd done. So he's out, and now we have a new speaker race on going on for the 2021 legislative session. But today, everybody who has announced for speaker are just in the same mold as a Joe Strauss and Dennis Bonin, and they just would carry on the same type of policies as we've seen before, which are not very good. Wasted opportunity after wasted opportunity after wasted opportunity. You know, back in the 90s, Japan, who was the world's economic growth leader throughout the 80s, 70s and the 80s, because of all the cars and radios and Sony and all those kind of things, all of a sudden their economy just went belly up and and didn't grow at all. And, and that the 90s is known as the lost decade for Japan. Well, I, I think we could look at the time from 2009 to 2019 as the lost decade for Texas conservatives because we had a Republican majority in the Senate. We had a Republican majority in the House. We had a Republican governor. We had Republican statewide office holders, including a Republican Supreme Court. And we didn't accomplish just a whole heck of a lot during that time. There, there were some wins, there's no doubt about it, but there was so much more that we could have done. And we didn't because of the leadership in the Texas legislature. And I'm not talking just about the speakers, lieutenant governors, or whoever it might have been, but the, the leadership, the, the people who were committee chairmen and all those kinds of things. And, and that is a problem. And of course, you don't get to be in leadership, though, unless, one, the people of Texas elect you and send you to the Texas legislature or governor's office or whatever office it is. And then if the members of those bodies don't support your appointment, either by the lieutenant governor or by the speaker, to positions of leadership. And so our problem here in Texas, as much as we we can look to the leadership in Austin as a problem. The leadership problem is really Texas people who keep sending moderate rhino-type Republicans to Austin. And so the question is, are we going to stop that? Are we going to continue that? It doesn't look real good right now. We had some good occurrences in, in this election last night, it looked like. Uh, the, the Democrats were all excited about the possibility of taking the Texas House. Didn't happen. We got some good conservatives back in. Uh, at least one pro-abortion, pro-big government Republican lost last night. So she was just like a Democrat. So it's just better to have her out of the Republican caucus and having the Democrat on the Democrat caucus. That just makes things a lot better. 
a lot cleaner. So there's some positive things going on. So we'll have to wait and see what all that looks like. But my encouragement for you today as Christian and conservatives, because you're probably not listening to me today if you're not a Christian or conservative, one or the other, or both, is to pray, redouble our efforts, and see what we can do to bring in true conservative Christian leadership in Texas. And from a Christian perspective, I'd suggest what we need to do is go back and immerse ourselves in Scripture. You know, it's unfortunate today that many people in the Christian church, and even in the evangelical church, which I'm a part of, just aren't paying much attention to what Scripture tells us about how public policy ought to be run. It, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the problems with the Catholic Church going into the Reformation. You know, the Catholic Church had pretty much pushed aside Scripture for its traditions and for its practices and was just ignoring what was God was telling us. And of course, the Reformation came back along with the term sola scriptura, which is Scripture alone, that Scripture, not tradition or man's word or anything else, is the sole guide to what we are to do in our lives. Yet, in many parts of the evangelical church today, you just don't see that. They look at Scripture and say, oh, that doesn't apply here. That doesn't apply to the welfare state. That doesn't apply to racism, unless it's making white people racist. And so I think the only hope for Texas and the only hope for the United States and the only hope for the world is a revival where people turn their hearts from themselves to God. And as part of that revival, we start looking at Scripture and seeing how we can apply that to the world today. Thank you for being with me today on the Liberty Cafe. And I'm excited to be with our sponsors, Texas Scorecard and Scorecard Media. And I look forward to what else we can do together and with all of you to reshape Texas according to God's will.